Our second scripture reading comes to us today from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 17. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1829. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 17. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. These are the inerrant words of God. May they aid you as you press on toward the goal, which is Christ Jesus. Well, it's been a few weeks since we left Philippians, but if you remember, Paul had been warning the believers in Philippi about those coming from the circumcision party, the Judaizers. This group was known because they, they claimed that faith alone was not sufficient for salvation. According to them, Gentiles needed to be circumcised to gain entrance into the kingdom of God, as well as following many other Jewish laws and customs. In essence, they were preaching salvation by works, a false gospel. To show their folly, Paul pointed to his own past as a Pharisee. You see, he had lived a life that was faultless. No charge could be brought against him according to the worldly standards of these Judaizers. Yet Paul considered all of his worldly achievements as waste to be thrown to the dogs, compared to knowing Christ and having a righteousness, not of his own, but that which comes from God. Knowing Christ comes in three stages. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is that moment when God produces repentant faith in a person. Faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And God declares that person is righteous before him. Sanctification is that continuous growth in that knowledge of Jesus when a Christian is being conformed into Christ's image. And glorification will occur on that final day when Jesus returns, when every Christian will be given new bodies, ones that don't decay, or give in 
to sinful desires. If justification can be seen as the cleansing of the soul, then glorification is the cleansing of the body. For when Christ returns, perfect body and perfect soul are joined into one. For on that day, man will be made flawless in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul said in the following, the following in verses 10 and 11 from Philippians 3. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul desires to be in that perfect state where he would no longer be entangled by sin, where he would know Christ fully and in Christ be fully known. Which leads us to our passage for today. Let's begin with verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In these first three verses, Paul was communicating one elaborate thought. To do this, he used what is known as a parallelism. A parallelism occurs when two different sections of a written work have corresponding grammatical structure, sound, and meaning. For instance, in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, which corresponds with this in verse 13. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And again, in verse 12, I press on to take hold. This corresponds with this in verse 14. I press on toward the goal. Paul uses such a literary device to stress the importance of what he is communicating and to make clear his precise meaning. He didn't want the church in Philippi to be confused on this point. So he repeated himself, rephrasing his point, giving it fuller meaning. Because of this, we too should take special note of what is being communicated here. So what is Paul saying? He, he begins by using an illustration that comes from the athletic events that took place throughout the Roman Empire, namely that of long-distance running. And as we take a closer look at his words, this should become evidence. And then he uses this illustration of a race. He, he does this to make certain that his readers understood that he had not yet attained to the resurrection from the dead. His body had not yet been glorified. In other words, he was still a sinful man. Although in one sense, new life had come to Paul through his faith in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, 
However, the, the resurrection was still a future hope for him. He had not yet been made perfect. Paul was still pressing on to know Christ and to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Therefore, according to Paul, to be made perfect means to be glorified. It means to know Jesus fully and, and to have obtained to the resurrection from the dead. There's a teaching out there today called Christian perfectionism. And this, this teaching states that a Christian in this life can become sinless. This side of Christ's return. Such a teaching is a myth. And Paul refutes it right here. This teaching of Christian perfectionism should be rejected. Now what the NIV translates as press on is the Greek word dioko, which means to pursue in most, most cases. But when it's used in an athletic context, it conveys the meaning of running swiftly and pressing through the pain. I think the NIV has it pretty spot on here, considering the metaphor that Paul is using. For the words, press on recalls the athlete's discipline and determination. The runner has fortitude. In other words, Paul is saying that he is in a continuous effort battling his sinful flesh in order to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. So the question is, what does Paul mean when he says, that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me? There's an unexpected twist in his argument. Because Paul is basically saying that he, he doesn't trust in his own efforts. Rather, he puts his hope in the work of Christ within him. We saw a similar thought back in chapter 2 of Philippians. When Paul urged his brothers and sisters in Christ towards sanctification. Look at Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's sanctification and the sanctification of any Christian, for that matter, will only be possible if God has conformed their will. You see, the, the real work of sanctification happens behind the scenes. It is the Holy Spirit that softens a person's heart. Coming back to our verses in chapter 3, what is Paul's goal? The goal is that for which Christ took hold of him, which is his glorification on the day of Christ's return, the resurrection. Christ obtained Paul. He purchased, he purchased him so that Paul might also obtain life in Christ. Though Paul had not yet reached this perfect state, 
he pressed on. And in verse 13, we see the practice of Paul as he pushed his way forward. Look at verse 13 again. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, most runners will tell you that you should never look back when running. For one, it it interrupts the, the natural rhythm that the runner has, slowing him down. But more importantly, it demonstrates mental weakness. For it indicates fear of your opponents that are chasing after you. In a similar fashion, Paul had let go of his former life as a Pharisee. He he didn't look back to that worldly righteousness that he was trying to achieve in his own strength. Instead, he, he strained forward towards what was ahead, the finish line, which was his glorification. Just like Paul, Christ calls you to do the same. Too often, Christians are held back by dwelling on their past. They let their former lives dictate their future. This happened in Corinth and was one of the main reasons that that church had so many issues. They had a hard time letting go of their past. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then your past life has been vanquished in Christ. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Stop looking backwards. Strain forward to what is ahead. Let's get back to our passage, verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word prize here is a reference to the the wreaths that were given to the athletes that that achieved victory for their particular events. It was the champion's crown made from wild olive branches. Yet the crown for which Paul pressed on was of a different sort. He wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
He wanted to share in his sufferings and become like Jesus in his death. He desired to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is what God had called him heavenward for. We saw this in our first scripture reading today, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When an athlete in Rome achieved victory, when they won their event, they would go up to the emperor's throne to receive their wreath. But Paul's prize was in heaven. He did not look to any earthly king. He looked to Christ, who is his life. By forgetting what, what was behind and focusing on Jesus, the prize before him, Paul held a life of true purpose, a life of real meaning, a life that endures. <clears throat> so to sum up these first three verses, though Paul pursued perfection in this life, he was stressing the point that it will never be attained until the resurrection from the dead on the day of Christ's return. So he was pointing to his own weaknesses and strivings in order to combat the false teaching that came from the Judaizers. Perfection would have to wait until the day of the resurrection. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Now the Greek word for mature here is teleo. It stems from the same root of the word perfect that we saw in verse 12. So technically, this verse should read, all of us who are perfect should take such a view of things. What view of things? Well, everything we just read in verses 12 through 14. They should be like Paul, realizing that they have not yet attained perfection, though they are striving toward that end. Do you see the irony here? Paul is trying to drive home his point. Those dogs... Those of the circumcision party, they were relying on their own righteousness for their salvation. In their own way, they were, they were trying to perfect themselves through human effort. So in irony, Paul says that those who are truly perfect understand that they are not perfect. They forget what is behind that life that they had before Christ. A life of trying to find justification through one's own strength. And instead, they, they press on towards the goal that, that God has placed before them, which is knowing Christ and the glorification that will come through him. 
And if the irony of those who are perfect realizing that they aren't perfect wasn't enough, Paul throws in this line. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. This snarky little quip by Paul is a a rebuke to those who do not yet understand that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Paul is basically saying that he is right on this matter, and if you disagree, he is patient enough to wait until God changes your mind. Verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Again, he's referring back to verses 12 through 14. A Christian should only be expected to be as perfect as God has thus far taken them in their Christian walk. A brand new believer should not be expected to show the same patience and self-control as that of a person who's been walking in the Holy Spirit for 20 years. And to that end, if a person has been a believer for 20 plus years, more is expected from them. The key is what Paul said in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, you should be pressing on ahead toward the goal to win the prize. This isn't an easy task by any means. But God has given you his Holy Spirit, who is right there with you, guiding you each step of the way. Yet he has given to you not only his Holy Spirit, but his servants in the church as well. Look at verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul now encouraged his brothers and sisters in Philippi to join with others in following his example. Follow his his example in what? Well, first and foremost, what he had just said about forgetting what is behind and pressing forward. They, too, should stop looking back to their lives before Christ and press on toward the goal which is Christ, their perfect example. Like Paul, they too should rely on Christ's righteousness alone and not be like those mutilators of the flesh who preach a different gospel. But more than that, they should think and speak and live as Paul did. As Paul followed Christ, he had learned to walk in the Holy Spirit. He demonstrated love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that all mature Christians experience. They, too, should grow in these areas. But Paul didn't leave himself as the only model to follow. For he says, And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. There are others out there to follow as well. In an earlier sermon, we we talked about Timothy and Epaphrodites, men of honor. 
Paul ensured that the Philippians had models to follow in addition to himself. Partly because of his own absence, but, but also because Christians need more than just one example. A single person cannot fully display all the facets that entail following Christ. Plus, each person has their own weaknesses and eccentricities that will not be in that will not be apparent unless there is someone else that they can compare them to. What Paul is getting at here is their need for discipleship. Though discipleship should come from your pastor, it is not exclusive to him. I have weaknesses. It's true, I do. I will not always be the example that you want to follow. You need others. Listen to Paul's charge to Timothy concerning discipleship. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. As a pastor, it is my job to seek out others and train them up in the ministry of the gospel. And as a Christian, it is your duty to seek out the guidance from mature believers in Christ, whether or not they are your pastor. And if you happen to be a mature Christian, then it goes without saying that you are to train up those who are young in the faith. Let me ask you, who are the godly men and women that God has placed near you to be an example for you? Let's turn it around. Who are the new believers that God has brought to your door that you can be an example for? So what is the example that Paul has given to us? From our reading today, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Paul had left the pharisaical life behind him, and he began to look forward. He wanted to know Jesus and attain to the resurrection from the dead. He looked to Christ with the hope of his own glorification. And this forward focus helped him to press on in God's sanctification process as he sat in chains for the gospel. Brothers, sisters, do you still live in that former life? Are you clinging to the past, that life you had before Christ? You need to trust in Jesus. He has bled and died for all of that, you must look forward to the promise that Christ has put in front of you. Forget what is behind and strain forward toward what is ahead. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. For perfection only comes by gazing at the perfect one by gazing 
at Christ. Let us pray. Father, your words speak not only to the church in Philippi, but to us as well. Help us to let go of our past and that, that life that we had before you rescued us. And teach us to press on toward the goal to win the prize. Let us focus on your son who died for our sins. Show us how to walk by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.